This season is sponsored by Gorillas, the sexy grocery delivery app revolutionizing online shopping. Fresh food delivered to your door in 10 minutes, catering to all your food loving needs. Sign me up. Operating in major cities in the UK and globally, Gorillas supports small businesses as well as local producers to bring your favourite brands to your door. And just to get your juices flowing, they are offering all listeners £10 off your first order when you spend £20. Download the Gorillas app and use the code SEXY10 at checkout. Hi, and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite TV presenters, Matt Tebbett. You know the weekend has started when Saturday Kitchen is on, coffee in hand, curled up on the sofa. Matt started his career in food as a chef, working under some very well-known personalities, such as Marco Pierre White, before embarking on his own and running The Fox Hunter in Wales. His time on TV spans from the aforementioned programme on the BBC to Channel 4's Food Unwrapped and Drop Down Menu, as well as Good Food's Market Kitchen. He's here... IRL, as the youth say, in real life, <laughs> in my kitchen, albeit not on a Saturday. <laughs> Matt, thank you for joining me. Very welcome. What, How, a, what an intro. Uh, well, you know. Drop I, down menu. <laughs> drop down trousers, we used to I call did it. Drop down trousers. <laughs> I did my research. I thought <laughs> I'd bring good. out the archives. Yeah, wow. Really <laughs> digging deep. How are you? Very well, thank you. Well, I say very well. I was at the... Uh, Rick Stein's book launch last night, which was in the Groucho, and that's only ever going to go one way. So a little bit shabby. Thanks for the Ribena and the coffee <laughs> and, this, and these delicious treats I have in front of me, yeah. which we'll talk about in just a bit. I'm I sure. mean, Matt arrived at my house and Late. the fact that he asked for a Ribena shows that he's definitely my spirit animal. <laughs> I mean, I can't actually believe I even offered it, to be I honest. Know, it's, it's a gift. I love it. <laughs> And I've mm. also given you some delicious Iranian mm. sweets. Well, they're kind of Middle Eastern sweets, a bit of baklava and some other sort of nutty, syrupy they're really goodness. Good. Well, I live in an area that is quite Middle Eastern. I had noticed. Yes. And I have to say, if you're really into your food, which mm -hmm. obviously we know you are, mm -hmm. um, there's some amazing gems around the corner. Mm -hmm. I buy all my ingredients from there and it's cheap, yeah. which is um, unheard, talking, unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> So he, he's just shoveled another baklava in his, in his gold. <clears throat> so we met this summer. Obviously, mm -hmm. I feel like I've known you for years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little creepy, actually. <laughs> um, how has, you know, the summer been? You've been at quite a few festivals. That's where we met, at the big festival. Yes. Uh, how's the summer been? It's been better than um, the previous few months. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're slowly getting back to, back to normal. Because uh, a large part of you know, what I do and I suppose how you make a living is, is going to festivals. The, the, the TV is the sort of shop window which feeds all the other things. Um, and on top of that, I mean, it's, it's just nice to be, to be out, really. To, it's, you know, it's great fun. I took my family to festival. We had a great, great time. Um, so it's just lovely to be out and about, really. It's, it's slowly getting back there. And just being with people. Mm. I mean, wow. I know. 
Who thought? I know. But everyone's so excited yeah. to be out. Yeah. And it's really nice, actually, because people are genuine. You know, when you, you used to go to places, you go to bars and what have you, and you could easily not talk to anyone because people are, you know, especially in London, people are quite kind of insular, yeah. but they keep themselves to themselves. Cliquey. But now people go out and they want to use, it's like being in a pub in Ireland. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't be lonely in a pub in no. Ireland and people want to sit and talk to you. Um, and it's really nice. Everyone's got this kind of, this new invigorated sort of spirit, I think. I wonder how long it will last. <laughs> so cynical for everyone so young. I know. So Jesus. <laughs> you're trying to see, you're seeing my new, my, my, my real colours now. <laughs> so I want to take it back. Yeah. Uh, a few years, only a few. Okay. Um, you were born in oh, right. Buckinghamshire, yes. uh, raised in Wales. Yes. I want to know what life was like growing up. I want to know what you were eating, who okay. was cooking. Did food play an important part in your life? Okay, so yeah, growing up in um, Wales, I was from about, I think it was about three months old. So essentially, I mean, you know, all but Welsh by birth, I suppose. Um, so that sort of period of time, I made my mum, um, housewife, my dad, uh, owned a factory and food was always very big in our world. We didn't have any money at all. Um, and we used to go caravanning to uh, Northern France in a, t- in a tiny, I mean, it wasn't much bigger than your sofa mm. and this, this area here. And four of us, me and my brother and my parents went off in this little caravan with a dog and we'd spend two weeks on a campsite in northern France. And, it, you know, invariably it would piss down with rain because the climate is much the same. Uh, but I remember it so... And that set the, set the scene, really. That set the tone for food because we used to go off and spend days on the beach. And I remember, you know, my parents taking us to a, a local kind of boulangerie, uh, patisseries, go to a local butcher and get all that food that still excites me. I mean, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like kind of, you know, that you, you get that kind of nostalgic mm. kind of hair sticking up on the back of your neck to kind of feel. And I remember going to get sort of pickled mushrooms Ooh. and really, really fucking good bread oh. and lots of things with garlic in it and really good pastries and tarts, big open tarts. And we used to sit on the beach and eat this, stuff, devour it. Um, and that is still the food I love today. I mean, in the evening, we used to go out, and I, I was, must have been about sort of five, I remember. And we would go to uh, a local um, bistro. And I, was, I still remember, you know, it's dimly lit, little candles on the table, that classic French bistro. And I'm eating fish soup, and there's little pots of rouille and gruyere and croutons on the side. And suddenly you're, you're building your own food. And it was, it was fucking magical. I absolutely loved it. And then garlic snails would turn up at the table. So my parents were always kind of adventurous and they made us adventurous and that stuck. And I was still, I mean, we've, we've always sort of made a point of doing that with our kids. Um, and, it's, and it pays off, I think. I mean, no kid wants to eat, you know, garlic initially, but then after enough, you wear them down and they do. And it, and it, and it sort of spurs on a, a desire to try new things. I can also imagine, you know, you were probably eating food in France that you didn't you necessarily get. get here. No, not at all. I mean, it was we, quite we, exotic. We couldn't get good bread yeah. back in, you know, late seventies, early eighties. Certainly not in any supermarket. Now you go and get sourdough everywhere. Yeah. You, you you look. Um, I mean, they were very different times. Um, I remember. I loved a condiment. I still oh, I do. love a condiment. And I, I remember <laughs> my mum's despair because I used to sit. I used to come home from school. 
and a bag of twiglets. I was I used to be a little fat kid. And I had a bag of twi- twiglets and a jar of mayonnaise. And if Ooh. you've never tried dipping twiglets in mayonnaise, it's incredible. Do you know what? I can kind of see it's the... So I can good. see it. <laughs> it's my filthy food secret. Um, things like garlic salt. I remember mm. experimenting with that. Um, um, what else? Oh, and ice magic. That's another story. But I suppose, yeah, I suppose northern France set the scene for, for my kind of food awakening, as it were. And so when you would come back to England, would your mum sort of recreate any of the dishes at I th- home? Yeah, I think there was, was cockavans and things yeah. like that um, going on. But, it's, you know, this was, um, this was kind of, we were going into that era of almost a, the ready meal. And that was convenient. So we, we had a lot of ready meals and stuff mm. like that. But yeah, I mean, she would always, you know, Saturday night was a big, a big kind of treat night. That would be sort of steak. And, you know, I remember, you know, she used to get dressed up and, uh, and make a real effort. And it was really nice. And it was as big a deal as a Sunday lunch, you know. Mm. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's, the sad thing is we're losing those sort of moments more and more now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't have much money, but, but there was a huge emphasis on food and that's what uh, started it. And obviously, aside from enjoying eating the food, mm. at this point, as I guess you're getting into your, your teens and your late teens, and mm. I mean, I know you went to university, you studied geography and anthropology. Very good, look at you and your homework. Oh, well, you know. Wow, um, studies a strong <laughs> word. <laughs> He attended at some point a university. That was pretty much it. And he may have got a certificate of some kind. (laughs) Two, two. (laughs) I mean, I think I got the same, actually, but it's fine. Um, It's all about the life experience, Matt. Mm. (laughs) It's all part and parcel. Exactly. You know, at this point, though, was food ever on the cards as a career option? Um, Okay, so so I went to uni. The only reason I went to uni was... Um, because I surprised myself and I did quite well in my exams and suddenly university became um, an option so I thought ah, why not uh, and then I wanted to go into the Air Force so at this point I was I was going to go in there so I had to go to uni to get a degree in order to get into the you know, officer training um, food was still there but I wanted to fly more um, you know some kids want to be engine drivers and you know I still want to be an astronaut but um <laughs> Flying was on, on, on the card. So I joined this, uh, I got accepted into this thing called a university air squadron. And on your days off, they used to teach you to fly on taxpayers' money. It was great. <laughs> Subsidised beer Love it. and yeah. free flying. I Love mean, it. What, it's the, it was the best damn club <laughs> in the world. So um, anyway, so food was still there. And I remember my, my flatmates used to laugh at me because I'd go off and buy some really nice bits and pieces in the supermarkets, whereas the, you know they were buying their value beef burgers that would melt you know under the grill yeah because they were so disgusting and fatty so so it was always there I always wanted to spend more money than anyone else on food and then I used to go flying and then I used to come back and flying was exhausting uh, mentally it was it was the most draining thing I've ever done and after an hour's flying I was I was come back sweating and I'd go back uh, to my housemates and relax by cooking for them and at the time Gary Rose was on telly uh, he was a bit of a he was probably the only TV chef mm. of the time. Mm. And we used to cock around and, and make our dreadful student food in the style of Gary Rhodes, you know, ham it up a bit. But then London was emerging as a, a centre of food. And I had a girlfriend, I was in Oxford Brooks, uh, I had a girlfriend in studying um, fashion in London. So I used to go up on a weekend, go and see her, and then we'd go out into Soho. 
And at the time, Worrell Thompson, Anthony Worrell Thompson had Delugo, which was this, uh, he, that guy was always ahead of his time by about 20 years, 30 years. And he had this three-tier affair in uh, Frith Street, Soho, where the downstairs was kind of snacky and tapas, essentially. The, the floor upstairs was, was more formal, and then the top floor was like, um, the, the middle floor was like almost like canteen sort of stuff, and the top floor was more formal. Um, and it was, it was astounding. And then, you know, there was Soho Brasserie, there was the Milk Bar, there was... Um, there were some cracking restaurants and suddenly a night out was so exciting. Mm. And when you saw a restaurant in full swing and you watched the theatre, you see, I mean, it's still a beautiful thing to watch, where you watch the waiters glide in and out of each other without hitting each other. The food flows beautifully. The kitchen is, is on fire. People are having a great time. It's like going to the theatre. And that's what I fell in love with. And that became more exciting than flying potentially fast jets. Stupidly. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a, that's a serious sort of leap, so it to was, speak. Yeah, you know? it was. It was, but then, I mean, that's what happens. And that's the great thing about life, yeah. isn't it? You know, you're one minute you're doing one thing and then suddenly you change attack. Absolutely. I feel like I'm going through that myself. No. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um, so you then go to Leith's, mm-hmm. beautiful, mm-hmm. fabulous uh, cookery school, which is actually close to where we are yes, now. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so was that sort of like the next thought process like I need to go and get trained up yeah basically yeah so so I, I you the idea was that you come out of um, uni you sign with the air force and you go on for 12 years and I just reached that point where I thought do you know what I 12 years just seemed like forever I mean little did I know how damn quick that goes so so I decided to step away from that and food was the next big thing I, like I said, I've always sort of nurtured this interest in food, sort of as a sideline. I remember age 16 buying a copy of White Heat. Now, a lot of chefs talk about White Heat, Mark and Peter White's book. But he honestly uh, made food just super fucking cool yeah. and sexy. Yeah. And suddenly there was this brutal kind of, you know, almost... Um, it was almost military kind of in its in its brutality uh, in, in, a, in a kitchen form but you had you know the restaurant full of models and actors and there was that kind of glam side um in fact I was going through I was showing somebody the other uh, yesterday that book and I, there's a picture of your old man in it. oh really <laughs> yes oh no way. Yeah, that, do you know, you... in fact my dad was just with Marco um, really? at the Rudlow Arms oh, really? about two weeks ago yeah yeah there's a picture of your old man oh in how funny somebody's drawn little kind of uh, oh I know it... antenna on I actually think it's Marco Marco drew them on oh, really? my dad yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. we've got my parents have got that photo oh, really? in their house <laughs> so 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 there's this this combination this weird combination between the grit and the the dirt of a kitchen um, and all the glam out the front. It's a strange kind of juxtaposition, I suppose. Um, so anyway, so, so I decided, right, I'm going to go to Leeds. I'm going to, if I decide against it, I'll do it for a year. I'll learn how to cook. It'd be great. And then mm. I'll think again. And then once you're kind of in that, on that treadmill, rather, it just, you know, you, next thing you look up and you're, here we are today. Mm. It was just one of those things. And I, I did, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with restaurants. I used to go on my nights off and uh, do different what they call stages I remember going to um to do a stage at the fifth floor Harvey Nicks which at the time was run by a friend of mine now Henry Harris 
lovely fella. Food was brilliant. God, I used to love it there. Yeah, and that was the glam yeah, place to be, so right? so glamorous. And I remember <laughs> being in the pastry. This is my trouble, though, you see. I, grass is always fucking green. <laughs> so I was in the pastry section on the top of Harvey Nicks, and it looked down at the, um, the hotel, the Hyde Park Hotel, which is Marco's. And I remember standing up there thinking, I just want to be there. And I know that's uh... awful. And that was, I mean, you know, I was so naive. And so you know, stupid and naive. But I think naivety is a good thing, actually, sometimes. And I thought, all right, I want to go there. And it was, it was a three-star. I mean, what fool comes out of a catering college and decides he wants to go to a fucking Michelin three-star? Anyway, I did. Aim so, high. Well, I know. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> so. But uh, so I went, um, I phoned up. Have you got time for all this? Oh, oh <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm, so, I'm chilling. So, uh, so back, in the, back in the day, the way you looked at restaurants and that was a time out guide yes time out eating yeah. and drinking london the youth of today won't know they what won't things know. like that are like no. we didn't have google then exactly even i didn't grow up i mean with it google. was it was it was mad <laughs> to, to think that these things weren't around yellow so, pages <laughs> so I, I i'm looking through their kind of haute cuisine uh the high-end sort of restaurants of london there was basically marco there was nico there was um uh Pierre kaufman I can't think of anywhere. That's that pretty much. Mm. There was the ruse, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to work for market. So you, so you, you look at the the restaurant. It tells you the opening hours. It tells you the price per head. It gives you the, the dishes. Gives you the rundown of the restaurant. So you've got an overview of what you're walking into. So I phoned up the restaurant, and I said, um, "Hi, I'm. You know, I'm looking to. Can I speak to the kitchen, please? I'm looking to." Uh, come in I'd love to do a stage and you know I work for nothing I just want to see how it operates and um, I'll do whatever you want you know this so this this really arsy French <laughs> who I assumed was French waiter at the end of the phone was being a right twat <laughs> and he was like he was just playing with me all the time and I was saying and I got started getting annoyed I said look I'm, you know I'm, I'm not I don't want to be paid I just want to stand in the corner when I watch I mean what could go wrong mm. So this guy goes on and on and on. He said, come in tomorrow. So I said, okay, my friend, when I, when I turn up tomorrow and Marco says, who the fuck are you? Literally, yeah. Which he would. <laughs> who the fuck are you? Uh, who do I say I spoke to? And he went, Marco Peel White. <laughs> oh my God. So that no. was, so oh, that that's was brilliant. That was my first introduction <laughs> to Marco. So, um, so then I go there. So I go to, I go to the, the, the restaurant and I spend, you know, spend all day prepping stuff. Um, and then about 11 o'clock at night, the phone goes uh, in the kitchen. And the head chef at the time was a guy called Robert Reed, And he said, uh, he's, he's looking around. He said, you, up to the office. Marco wants to see you. Oh, blimey. Okay. Now I'm a little bit kind of like excited because this guy's a god. So I go up to the office, knock on the door. There he is behind the desk. Come in, sit down. So there he is, and he's nursing what I see as a gin and tonic. <laughs> and uh, how was your day? So I'm telling him, yeah, it's really exciting, Marco, blah, blah, blah. He, he then drills me like no one else and gets so much information in sh- such a short space of time. Asks me all these sorts of questions. Like, and he looked at me, he said, you're very honest. He said, you wouldn't tell your parents this, would you? All sorts of questions. Wow. Probing. And then, so he's, so he's taking a sip from his drink. And then he said, would you like a drink? So I'm looking at his gym. I'm thinking, okay, I'll have a beer. So he picks up the phone and he goes, he said, ah, would you mind bringing my new friend a beer, please? And another glass of water for me. Oh, <laughs> my God. 
I, do you know what? I love So this him. guy, this guy is acting because I thought he was a bit pissed. So I was like, oh shit, here we go again. I've just done it again. So anyway, so so he asked me all these questions and then, and then he said, right, well, come along. Um, I've got a, a position for you in, they were moving to the Meridian mm-hmm. just at that time. So I thought, great. So I, so my first job, and it was the weekend of, and I remember it well, it was the weekend of before Princess Diana's funeral. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. so London was like dead. Mm. It was absolutely dead. So I went in there and uh, anyway, so, so yeah, I, 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 my first job was taking the eyes out of red mullet for soup, splitting French beans into four to then decorate a plate, which then used to come back and scrape into the bin. So my entire 18-hour shift, I would watch all these beans go into the bin and think, what is the point of my life? Wow. It was, it was extraordinary. Uh, then I, I got sacked. <laughs> you did not. Yeah, yeah, I got sacked from there. <laughs> because what did you one, do? Because one night in service... I body swerved Marco. Oh, man. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> so I body swerved him. And he made a point of just dropping the plates and go, what the fuck? And he hit the roof. And I'm going, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Anyway, all kicked off. Told me in no uncertain terms to get out. So anyway, I walk, I step away from the kitchen. It's all still kicking off and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, about five minutes later, when it calms down, I'm, I'm at the back of the shop thinking, he didn't mean that. Anyway, I'm back and he turns around and he said, you still here? <laughs> oh my God, he really meant he went, it. He said, fuck off. I went, oh, all right, whatever. So I did. So I threw my apron down, stroppy sod it was, uh, and then just went out, went home. So next morning, we'll get to other questions in a bit. You can edit all this. <laughs> no, I'm so not thinking this so, is the gold. So the next morning, I'm sat there thinking, shit, I need a job. So I open it at the time I guide again. I'm going, right, I'll go and work for Nico. Oh, <laughs> okay. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So then the best though, and then the phone goes and I pick it up and he goes, what are you doing there? And I said, Marco, you sacked me last night. He said, oh, don't worry about that. Come on in. <laughs> so I went in. I was thinking, so, so I go in and there, and he said, oh, don't, be, don't worry about that. I'll tell you what, let's go and have a look at the criterion. Um, wow. So he walked yeah. me across the road to the Criterion, introduced me to the head chef at the time, and said, this is my friend Matt. He would like a job here. Find him a position, and then walked away. So and then I was, I was there for over, well over a year. Um, and it was, it was extraordinary. And, you've, uh, and it, honestly, there's, there's people you meet in the world, and they've got such charisma, and that magnetism. And my God, that man's got it in spades. Yeah. Whether, you know, he's a, he's, he's a tough, yeah. tough one to work for. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, he always said, but I'm fair. And I guess, and I, he was right. And if, you know, I remember him saying, you know, if you, you make a fish soup here, you'll make the best fish soup. And he was absolutely right. And I still, to this day, think back at recipes that we used to do and the, the methods he used to do. I mean, and, I, and they were absolutely bang on. Can you kind of like describe what the energy is like in a kitchen working with him? Um, it is, you are on fire, yeah. basically. Yeah. Because nobody's allowed to, no. to, you know, have a bad day. Um, and everyone is just on top of their game. Um, 
it was it was extraordinary. I mean, you know, there's there's guys who have worked a lot longer and a lot closer with him than I ever did. But then I have, a, I suppose, in terms in those sort of terms, I had a brief introduction. But what I saw was just, it was it was pretty much it was magnetic. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're absolutely right. I think there are very few people out there. Yeah, and even like even chef wise, yeah. I think you know you sort of I can think of maybe three at the top of my head, but who just have this energy that just you cannot explain and yeah. you can't even compare it no. to anyone else. No, I mean, you meet, I mean, I'm in a fortunate position where I meet a lot of fantastic chefs um, and some of them just, their food, they blow you away yeah. and the focus they have on food mm. is a focus I would never have. Mm. Um, I mean, Raymond, we, we um, you know, fortunate enough to to do some filming with him i mean the guy is incredible mm. but looks at things in a very different way but you know amazing to watch it's such an art when you get i think when you get to that level it's a, a, a talent and art that yeah. not many people get it and i and i think it is pretty incredible yeah fast forwarding quite a bit mm. um you then went out on your own and ran a restaurant in mm. wales the fox yeah. hunter yeah um that must have been quite an interesting sort of jump from working in the kitchens to now actually running the whole joint. Yeah, I mean, I credit my wife for she she ran the place. I just cooked some food. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much it. Um, but it was it was it was interesting because I I just left Alistair Little, one of the nicest guys I'll ever meet, a fantastic chef, and I'd left him in Soho. And then I opened this place in Wales. Um, and, you know, you step out of the restaurant in, at 11, 12 o'clock at night in Soho, and it's, it's, it's like the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> you walk out of the restaurant at 11 o'clock uh, <laughs> on a Monday night in Wales uh, into the country, and you, can't, you can hear a pin drop. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just like a bit of a shock. Um, but, you know, it, what we wanted, my wife and I wanted, was that restaurant where... The wife's at the front, the husband's in the kitchen, the kids are running around, we lived upstairs. It was the start, but we didn't realise, of that whole gastropub revolution. So we bought an old pub. Um, I sold my flat in, in London. We bought an old pub, we did it up, and we lived upstairs. Um, and very quickly we had two kids. So it was full on, but it was... I look back and it was, it was really quite special. I used to come down with one of the kids, put them on the counter, make the bread sort of six, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning when the they, little buggers wake me up. Um, and then you're there. And you're, uh, but, and, but I have to say, those, it is relentless. Mm-hmm. That, that little family business to, to make it look effortless is fucking relentless. Are your kids wanting to get into the food world? Um, no. No. Um, people, <laughs> people always say to me, oh, don't you want your kids to get into it? And to be fair, I got very lucky with, television and making a good living it's it's a hard game um now you know if if they're taken with it to the point where you know they want to get in a kitchen and um then then fine that's up to them but there's no way i was going to push them to it at all mm. you know my son you know it's, it's it's kind of better to earn enough money to enjoy food enjoy restaurants learn to cook at home, do it in your home time, in your spare time, because cooking at home 
I think what people forget is cooking at home and cooking for people who are paying is totally different. Completely different. It, the whole game changes. Yeah. And the enjoyment changes. It becomes a very different thing. I mean, hospitality is still hospitality. If you get friends coming over, you want to cook for them, you want them to enjoy your food, you like the look of the, the faces light up and things like that. And that's what drives the, the food industry, basically, is, is others having a good time. But... No, I would absolutely not channel. One's, one's going into the foreign office and the other's a oh, drummer. Oh, wow. Oh, I love <laughs> so, it. So totally different. What, what a mixture of stuff there. God, we need another person in the foreign office, maybe sort some stuff out. Um, actually, it's interesting you say that. We were talking before we started recording about you were asking me about my photography career. And yeah. I think you've just pinpointed it, which is that photography was a hobby for me. And then I started getting paid for it. Yeah. And when you turn a hobby into a job mm. it is a different feeling it takes fun out of it it yeah it some, does some, take, some it does it does it does um yeah when if you're doing i mean everything's you know going to be slightly mundane if you're doing it day in day out yeah but i just think like within the, either the creative world or the culinary world or whatever mm. it is you know i that's sort of why i have never really been that interested in becoming a chef yeah. because I just love to cook at home. Yeah. Right. And and and, and even to feed people. Yeah. You know, but not on a. Maybe I might start charging people to come over. Actually, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I always, I still think one day I would love to have a place in in France or Italy where you you can stand behind the bar. There's a countertop mm. affair. You cook one thing, and that's it. Yeah. Like it or bugger off. Yeah. And and have but then obviously you need a lot of money behind you to be able to do that. So that's quite a luxurious way to run a restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. But I just love to find those little places in the hills where somebody's doing that. And today we're going to do the most amazing cassoulet, but there's no other choice. So you either you come know? and eat it or or you don't. Go yeah. away. You did mention that obviously you did get lucky. Um, mm. Whilst I was doing my homework, mm. um, I can't really find the link from. Owning and running the Fox Hunter to TV. To TV. Okay, I would tell so, you. So, talk to me. So, that is down to Matthew Fort, um, the great food critic. Um, so, so, Matthew was writing in The Guardian when we were in the restaurant. He came in one night, he gave us a, a fantastic review. Um, and it, I stuck it on my wall and it, it was lovely. And then that was it. And then something like four or five years later, he pops up as the judge on Great British Menu. Hmm. Okay. Um, and he had to put names forward for the regions. So he put me forward for Wales. I said, yeah, why not? Let's give it a try. Um, so I was up against Bryn Williams, who I'd met at the Criterion um, many years ago. He was an usher at my wedding. Um, so we, and we'd always stayed in touch. So obviously TV loves that. They're friends, they're rivals. Um, that sort of, you know, element to it. Anyway, so I did that. Bryn's obviously a fantastic cook. He out cooks me and he I was out in week one <laughs> so that was uh, and the pressure and that's was, the end of that and that was that and the pressure was in, really intense and I, I thought fucking hell this is hard work because obviously the TV wants you to be Jamie Oliver they yeah. want you to be all you know um, all smiles and what have you and yet at the same time you're cooking for these three fierce judges and it has to be good so it was I, it was like wow this is this is tough anyway so I got booted out of that and then thought nothing of it. And that was, so the show went out in the, I think it was probably July, August, sometime like that. 
And we had a nice run in the restaurant because that's what TV does. It puts you know, people in your restaurant. And then, and then nothing. And then it dipped down again. We had, an, we had an awful Christmas because the weather was so awful. And trouble is when it snows or rains or the wind blows in the wrong direction, people in the country don't go out. Mm. Um, and then, so we had a really bad Christmas. And the money you make in Christmas in little family restaurants sees you through January. Of course. Anyway, and then January came and it snowed for about two weeks solidly. So every single booking just got cancelled. And I was, one morning, I was on, leaning on my coffee machine, looking at the snow falling. I was almost in tears thinking, how the hell are we going to pay the bills this month? And, we, and it doesn't take, it's, it's a, almost like five grand will keep you afloat or it'll see you off. And we were at that sort of, that brink in this place. And then, I shit you not, the phone rang, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and it was some woman from Optimum TV who made Great British Menu. They were making a new show called Market Kitchen. Mm. And this woman at the end of the phone said, have you ever thought about presenting? I went, no. I mean, I couldn't stand up at my wedding and give a speech. Uh, I couldn't stand I still struggle with standing up in a room now in front of people. Because, but that's why people go to kitchens. Because they're not, they're not natural kind of showmen. Showmen are the, are the, the front of house. Yeah. The kitchen guys aren't. So anyway, so this woman says, have you ever thought about presenting? And there wasn't a choice. Um, I said, oh, yeah, fine. Well, we were, we'd had a holiday book from the previous year. We were going on the Friday. This was the Wednesday. She said, can you come up tomorrow and have a screen test? So, oh, shit. Yeah, so now I'm nervous. Now, nervous, so excited. So I go up to London, have a screen test with Diana Henry. And thought nothing of it went on holiday and then I was standing in Disney with my two young kids. I mean, it's like saying out of a film. Standing in Disney thinking, really hating it because you have to fucking queue for everything in yeah. Disney. And it's just Disney. <laughs> it's just Disney World. And I was, I was really miserable. And I remember standing in the Magic Kingdom and a phone goes and this woman at the end says, we love you, we want you to do the show. Wow. I was like, oh, honestly, I want to cry now. I know, but how incredible. <laughs> So, uh, sorry, I think that was last night's drink. Um, so <laughs> this it this was, is the kind of stuff I need. I need the emotion. You're giving was, it to me. It was, ama- it was an amazing, amazing moment. Uh, and really, I mean, it was like something out of a Richard Curtis film. You're standing in the fucking Magic Kingdom. I oh, know, I cannot. Where <laughs> dreams come true. <laughs> Do you know what? You are literally, you are the actual slogan for it in this moment. So, <laughs> These dreams came true I know, right? on Space Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> So there, I, so then I, I go back and think, oh, what the hell? So then I, I ended up doing Market Kitchen for, well, from start to finish for about eight years. So what year was this? Uh, I want to say like mid 2000, 2005. Okay. 2004, 2005, around that sort of time. Um, and then obviously one thing led to another. Yeah. And then I, James Martin had to stand back from Saturday Kitchen because he had a, a couple of days off. I think it was his sister's wedding or something like that. And I got asked to stand in. And it's like, wow, which has now led me to being. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's taken a, you know, it's not a, no, not an course, overnight of course, sensation. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, you know, it took a long time, but, but yes, I think once you put yourself in those positions, and I'm a big advocate of just saying yes to things now. And had had we been making money, I would have said no, not a chance, mm. and I'd still be there. I love these stories. Yeah, so, I, I just mean, love these. They're, they're, listen, I'm not trying to get all sort of like spiritual and yogi on you, but I do think that certain things are meant to happen 
at certain points I in life. Of, I kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a nice thing to believe because it's almost out your hands then, isn't it? Yeah. I like to put, your, if you put yourself, I had this chat with my son recently, if you put yourself in a position and you do your damnedest, you know you can't do any more. Yeah. And it's either in your hands or it's out of your hands. I also think because you were kind of at rock bottom in the sense that, you know, yeah. you were very concerned financially, you yeah. had nothing to lose when you did that screen test. I always no. think when, when there's so much riding on it and you really yeah, yeah, want yeah. it, yeah. you kind of fuck it up a little bit. Yeah. I've had that in my life. Yeah. And the things that have happened where I'm like, I'm, I have nothing to lose. Mm. Just go and be yourself. Go and do what it is you need to do, whether it's mm. my photography, whether it's crazy sexy food. Mm. That's when the moments... Yeah, suddenly yeah. turn but I think you have to put you know anyone listening out there you have to put yourself into those positions in order yeah. for them to so know. you just mentioned like really interesting so you said that at the time you didn't even like standing up in public how do you feel mm. now well I'm getting better at it I, I would hope so seeing as you're going out to millions every uh, well it's it's a very Saturday morning. it's a very different thing <laughs> because you're just talking yeah to, I was gonna to say. these six guys in front of you mm. who you see week in week out and they've become friends, the crew. Um, we we go to the pub. We all we, you know self congratulate at the end of every show, and we <laughs> go and we go and drink quite heavily, uh, and tell each other we're brilliant. And and they're they're friends. So so you go in, and I reference them quite a lot on the show. If somebody sniggers or laugh, and yeah, there's one old boy, Lofty. He's I think he's like seventy two. He's hilarious. I mean, he still thinks he's a teenager. Um, and so you're talking to them, really. I mean, you know there's people watching, but if you were to think of what that looked like, you'd, it'd cripple you. Yeah. You imagine standing in the middle of Wembley Arena no. and doing that. No. All, all eyes on you. So you can't yeah. really think like that. Um, so you just do your thing and you're chatting and you're having a nice time. And as long as you're having fun, hopefully that translates. What I love about the show in comparison, comparison... Mm to other food TV shows of its kind. Mm. I'm going to be very careful how I speak here, just mm. in case, you know, we get any other presenters on in, in, the, <laughs> in the future. I feel like I'm there with you. What? I feel like I'm at that table. Oh, and, really? I, and I feel like you're talking to me and you're I all am. talking I to am. me in a way. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. You know what? This Saturday, I am going to be... If I don't get a shout-out, I'm sorry. I'm never going to watch it again. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Well, it's... I, I mean, it's, that's that's a, a massive compliment. Thank you. Um, because that's exactly what we want to do. It's not... We. I mean, it's, it's, it's a three-way thing. So I'm talking to the guests talking to the chefs and I'm also sort of you know looking down the barrel and may, sort of raising eyes and you know if somebody says that in front of you going you know, yeah, yeah. pull a funny look and it's almost like that's the third person in yeah. the room and I mean somebody put it on social media recently I'm not a massive fan of social media uh, but somebody put on the social media recently that he said watching Saturday Kitchen is like the host has forgotten he's on TV and it's like I've stumbled into a slightly pissed party. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took that as a massive compliment. Do you know, but that's what I'm saying. You, you, it does feel like that. And I think that a lot of shows out there are kind of on, sort of feel like they're on a pedestal where you are just the viewer, but there's a big yeah, wall yeah, up yeah. that you can't connect yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Whereas that's why I said I feel like sometimes I'm at that table and I'm yeah. kind of sharing that joke with you and I'm having yeah. that conversation with you and 
Oh, that's it, nice. It, it, sort of jokes aside, but you kind of are talking to me, and I think that's very difficult to do. Um, I don't. I. I don't know. I mean, I. You're you just, just being you, Matt. You're just, just being you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. I honestly don't know how because you meet some presenters and they they're essentially actors. Yeah. Because when you meet them off camera, they can be hideous people. Yeah. I'm not naming names, no. but they can be. And as soon as the camera's on you them... You will once we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> so, and as soon as the camera's on them, they come alive and they become that person that everyone thinks is, is a lovely person. And they're, they're actually not. So I don't know how people do that. Mm. If how... I'm having a trouble, if I'm having a bad day, everyone is going to know I'm having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm a bit like, yeah. I mean, it's sort of difficult. It's like what you see is what you get. If, yeah. I'm, if I'm hungover, we're all going to yeah, be hungover exactly. together. Exactly. This, right? Like, <laughs> let's not try and mask it. It is what it is. Have you had any sort of like nightmares on air or sort of any things that have gone just crazy wrong? Um, no, I mean, you know, Zooms go down, obviously. Uh, earpieces fail. So somebody's talking to you, giving you the timings in your ear. That goes crackly and all sort of white noisy, so that's annoying. The most terrifying is the autocue drops because uh, then you're just staring at a black screen. <laughs> and But then you, I mean, it has happened, and then essentially all you do is look to another camera and go, you know, and it might be a bit odd, but you look yeah. somewhere else. And, and then tell people at home what's happened. There's no point trying to bluff through it because you'll just look a bit of a twat yeah. for looking at the wrong camera. Absolutely. So you may as well, and people like it. I mean, that's that's part of being live. Yeah. You know, it's good when things go wrong because, and it's good when you know dishes balls up and you can't get them out of the damn tin, because that's what happens in real life. So why shouldn't it happen on TV? You don't have to name any names, but have there mm. ever been any dishes that have just been horrendous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we had. I'm not naming names, but we had we had a dish once where this very very famous, oh no, world renowned <laughs> chef made he brought in uh, for the home ex bless them about eight pages of ingredients to make marmite and then he he literally made marmite he spread it on some toast and he cooked a scallop and he put it on there and he said it's good isn't it i said it's marmite you've made marmite now marmite's made in a factory yeah and they're really good at it <laughs> so why would you that's why bother? no one tries to make it <laughs> why would you bother my life is too short uh, that was that was. What did not, it taste like? It tasted like marmite with a scallop, Oof, and the, I, I mean proper I emperor's, I new, about that. emperor's new clothes stuff. Um, by and large, ninety nine percent of the time, the food is amazing mm. because the guys we have on are the, you know they're top you know half a percent of, of cooking fraternity. Um, one of my standout dishes was um, Greg Marchand Frenchy. He made this kind of like tagliatelle with salsify, thinly shaved Ooh. salsify, uh, a Comte cheese sauce, a cured egg yolk, and then he went and finished it off with a load of fresh truffle. Oh, how it was fabulous. Outstanding. God, that sounds So delicious. it was like a carbonara. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's right up it my street. It was amazing. And then completely on the flip side, you're yeah. also one of the presenters on Food Unwrapped, yeah. which I is something that I'm really into because it's that sort of really gritty, mm-hmm. bit more documentary style, a bit more investigative. Mm. Um, what do you love about the show? You know, what's sort of well, your I, angle with it? I mean, I love the travel. Uh, <laughs> I love food and travel. I mean, who doesn't, right? So, you know, when we get to, to go to places and it, it, suddenly you're interested in mm. everything. I think you have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in places. 
if you're not, you may as well be dead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I so, agree. Um, so when you go, to, you go to Mexico and you go to these little back streets or you go to tequila and look at tequila, I mean, God, this is a gift. Um, so I love the, uh, some of the stories. I'm looking at your bottle of mezcal. I know. Down there. That looks a shocker. That is the sort of mezcal that will give you a bad hangover. You know, the, the last time I drank mezcal yeah. was about seven years ago. You're right. Did your and eyes I, bleed? W- um, not only did they bleed, I hallucinated <laughs> yeah, in they, Mexico. Really? I found out later on that I was also in Pablo Escobar's Wicked. Um, nephew's house. Whoa. In um, cartel land. Uh, in in I, Mexico? I don't know how. In I, Mexico? In Mexico. Really? And I just remember That's missing awesome. out 20 minutes of the party because I'd downed a shot of Mezcal and I just, I floated. I floated through the party, spoke to everyone, came back to earth and was like, what the fuck just happened to me? That sounds amazing. Um, that's why that bottle still isn't open yet. Is that the rest of it? No, no that's not the Mezcal. Oh, shame. But we it could be. It. Well, maybe we'll open it after and see what wow. happens. But <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, some of the stories are amazing. Um, I can imagine. And some of them are like, yeah. But, but most of the time, I mean, it's a real eye-opener. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you see things in supermarkets, you see things on shelves and what have you, and you don't question it. And then you, you question it. God, of course it is. Why, mm. why are we thinking, you know, in anything but? Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that's been a, real, it's been a real joy, actually. It's been going for like eight, nine years now. Um, I've just come back from Porto. We were doing a Christmas story on Port. Oh, lovely. Um, but some of the standout stories, yeah, I mean, you know, proper tequila in Mexico. Uh, we went to Argentina before the plague hit. Oh. So we were out there and looking at, obviously, stories on beef. We went to Uruguay, to, to the Frey Bentos factory. Have you ever been to Argentina? I'm desperate it's to go. It's incredible. I've heard. I mean, it's, it's kind of crumbled Europe. It's like yeah. one of those faded grandeur sort yeah. of Roman architecture cities. It's meant to be just, stunning. Um, and there's sort of tango music <sighs> coming from, from the parks. People are dancing. It's, it's a sexy place. Yeah. If you like meat. Yeah. If you don't like me, don't go to Argentina because there's so nothing So vegans else. shouldn't really be getting nothing on a flight to Argentina. No. <laughs> uh, and it you get was, turned away immigration. <laughs> I, would, I would absolutely kill to go back there. I was really surprised. I thought it was all going to be, you know, a Vita and, and Nazis. <laughs> yes. I did see a Nazi. Did you? There was a Nazi there. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it, wow. Okay, they're still, still roaming free. <laughs> That's good to know. But aside from that, it's great. And they did a great steak. <laughs> But it was it was an incredible place. I'd love to go back. Mexico is the furthest south I've been, and I South America is sort of next on the hit list. Yeah. So sort of totally. back to you and your personal relationship with food. Mm. You know, have you had a pretty healthy relationship with it throughout your life? Yeah, I definitely have. I mean, I'm greedy. That's um, okay. I'm always always been at least stone overweight. Yeah, story of my life. Um, and I, I kind of don't care, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, you know look thinner and fitter and what have you but I don't think it's going to happen <laughs> and life's, I don't really, life's too short I don't really now. care anymore because yeah. I get up in the morning and I just get excited and my daughter's the same she gets excited about what she's going to have for lunch where should we go for dinner it's just everything is driven by mm. your next meal um, I mean I love I still love eating out I still love restaurants um, I love the conviviality of food um, however saying that I don't think there's more to it, more to restaurants than food. It's conversation. It's the people around the table. It's the atmosphere. If the lighting's too bright, mm-hmm. it's hideous. If, if there's music, I tell you, my bugbear at the moment 
and I might, and I know it's illegal, but I might get, <laughs> I might get a mobile phone blocker. Oh, because, I don't. I know. Because my, yep. honestly, if you, you could sit in so many good restaurants now and people will just watch full volume videos, music videos, anything videos. And it's like, do you mind? I'd rather them light up a cigarette. I think it is offensive, it's actually. Hideous. It's hideous. In fact, forget, not even just the videos. People sitting there opposite each other, yeah. just on their phones. Listen, yeah. I know I'm guilty if I'm, if I'm just quickly checking something because someone's messaged me, fine. But engaging in something it's else... so rude. It is And people horrible. have got no self-awareness. I, no, I, 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 can, I couldn't agree with you more. And I also completely... Um, on the same page as you about it not just being about the food it's the whole ambience and yeah, actually yeah, yeah. it's about what you said earlier the whole theatre the theatrics mm. of it everyone you know the waiters yeah. if there's an open kitchen watching the chefs make your food it's the whole yeah. vibe yeah I mean fortunately those the, the dark days of the 90s where it was all about the you know the, the, the food and the plates mm. and the you know how how beautiful does this look and it's all kind of silent and mm. the, those French waiters are mopping down the table, dusting the tables between courses and like so just go away. Yeah. I can't bear all that. But fortunately it's it's that's all changing now and it's becoming much more relaxed. Where are some of your favourite places to eat out? Um that's a difficult one. Um I love let's go around the country. So Bristol um is is fantastic for food. Freddie Bird, great chef, little French in Bristol is is brilliant. Uh, I've got a great little place near me in Wales called the Black Bear. Uh, I'm just around the corner from the Walnut Tree. It was great. Down in Dartmouth, Mitch Tonks has got the Seahorse, uh, which I love. It's like going to a Venetian restaurant. Mm. Um, then where are we going? London. Uh, Hunan, Chinese. Love it. Andy Wong. Oh. Amazing. Uh, and you've got Boysdale's around the corner, yeah. so you can go for Chinese yeah. and jazz <laughs> and whiskey. <laughs> And cigars. I mean, come on. That's Matt's idea of a great night. Yeah. Uh, where else do I love? Um, it's really hard. I mean, Frenchie, I love. I love Cora Pearl. I love Kitty Fishers. Um, I've yet to go to Brat because I'm just so behind the times. I still haven't been yet. I'm desperate Good. to go. It makes me feel better. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there are so many good restaurants in London. Theo Randall cooks some of the most amazing Italian food I've ever eaten. I mean, yeah. close your eyes, you could be in, in yeah. Italy. It, it's incredible. We're so spoiled for food. We are spoiled. Yeah. I think, I actually think that London is, I personally, honestly, I think the best city at the moment to, to eat around the world. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I was talking to a friend, Tom Parker-Wells, the other day, and he said, outside of London, Bristol. Really? And he's right. That's really interesting. That's good to it's know. Really, it's, it's absolutely okay. banging, Bristol. It's also a very beautiful city, mm. which I, I spent a few t- uh, years there. Yeah, I had an ex-boyfriend there, but oh, we don't need to talk about let's him. Let's talk he's, about him. He's absolutely not <laughs> worth the time. And if he ever heard this, I don't want to give him that luxury wow. of being spoken about. Wow. But anyway, okay, moving well. on. <laughs> when you're at home, what are your specialities? In, in what? <laughs> <laughs> when you're at home cooking, Matt, yeah. you know those, those t- okay. times? My specialities. <laughs> what do you like cooking at home? Um, I really love, I've got a, um, uh, pressure cooker. <gasps> okay. I love my pressure cooker. Okay. Um, and if anyone hasn't got one, they need to get one. Okay. Because suddenly oxtail and shin of beef and beef ribs, um, you know, lamb, all sorts of cuts of lamb and pork and what have you, bung them in there and you, it's 45 minutes. Done. To an hour. 
It's incredible. I love it. So I do lots of braises and stuff like that. Okay. I need to get one then. That's that. Yeah, you do. Um, and <clears throat> what do you? What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I actually, that's a really bad uh, example because I had a banana, <laughs> which is why I'm starving and I'm eating these really delicious sweet treats because um, I got up late. Well, and now I feel night. bad. I didn't make my ham sandwich, no, but I probably no. will. My last question. Well, mm. no, my last question before the quick fire questions. Right. Do people treat you differently in restaurants if they see you coming? Hell yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God, some, some do. And it's lovely. I it's love really, it. It's really lovely. It's one of the it perks. It makes it all worth it's it. It's one of the perks. Um, I love eating alone. Do you? Yeah, I do. Uh, okay, so would you go to like quite a high-end restaurant alone? Or would you sort of just do a lunch by yourself? Oh, no, no. I'd go oh. out... You're doing and, it, yeah, the full yeah. thing. Oh yeah, really? I love it because okay. you can. Uh, I mean, I love going for Chinese on my own. Yeah, but that's just because I don't like to, I don't like to share the food. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although you can never order yeah. more, you always need to order mm, more, mm. and you can't. That's a shame. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I. Um, it's what it's, it's a great, um, great side. I think that's the best question I've asked all day. <laughs> right, that brings us to the quick fire round. Okay. Yeah, okay, quick fire with a hand. Here we go. go yeah. <laughs> we'll be here for another hour. Yeah. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh, wow. I I tried turtle. Wow. It, it was allowed. Okay. It wasn't wasn't a you know in which country? Wasn't under the counter <laughs> there. It was in uh, I think it was in Seleucia. Okay. That I wouldn't try that again. I had a python. Gosh, I had right, to, okay. Uh, I, I had to kill a python, so we ate it. Nice. Uh, that was hideous, because mm-hmm. as we were carrying it, um, they, it took about three of us to carry this thing. Out the end, I mean, I'm sorry if anyone's offended by this, out the end was lots of like tapeworms were piling up. Oh, us. my God. So that was, that was unusual. Wow. Where was that? That was in Panama. Gosh. Is that quite tough meat? Really tough. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it was no, really, it wasn't, wasn't No. Nice. What has been, been <laughs> what has been your most memorable meal? Ooh, tricky. I'm thinking most memorable meal. Do you know what? I mean, I've been, I've had lots of really good meals. I'm very lucky. Um, one of the most memorable my go-to is, is sitting, having the longest lunch on the terrace of the column door with a couple of magnums of rosé the that when they bring have you been there right mm-hmm. you bring that table over because you've ordered the hors d'oeuvres oh yeah and I'm in heaven because they then fill this little table with all these little individual china pots of anchovies and eggs and olives and this and that and the other and anchois it's just the most incredible oh honestly just yeah it's Column fair, door, if you, yeah. hors d'oeuvres, and magnums of rosé. If, if no one's been there, you really must. Yeah, but please don't, because yeah, I can't get a table That's anyway. true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually, don't go. Do you know what? You'll hate it. You'll hate it. Just Matt and I just do it, just to, you know, hurt ourselves. It's fine. My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Is What's it? What's your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Uh, favourite? Uh, salt and vinegar. But not, don't give me a fancy one with balsamic vinegar no, and sea salt. No, no, no. I want the cheapest yeah, yeah. going. Yep. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, are we talking like a good walkers? Um, or are we talking even more basic? I no, no, yeah. like a yeah, like a walker, something yeah, like that. Yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I judge people massively by really? that question. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a few people who will never be invited back oh, really? on. Yeah, because if you what's are, the flavors you don't like? Well, why would you want to eat a prawn cocktail crisp? Yeah, it doesn't taste like prawn cocktail. It's not acceptable. It's They're horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother... Do you know I don't like? Skips. KP Skips. Never been into them. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd eat them, but I just... I find them a bit... They don't do anything. They disappear on your tongue, so you haven't really eaten anything. Yeah. You're just eating air. It's a highbrow conversation. I know. Do you know what my favourite crisps are? What? Pickled onion monster munch. Yes! <laughs> Yeah, and I bet you still put them on your oh, fingers. Oh, yes. And but, they, but they come out, they're so porous. They literally come out of your body. They're mm, so smelly, but yeah. they're so brilliant. Great on a hangover as really well. Really strong. Really good on a hangover. Mm. What food sums up happiness for you? Oh, my God. I'd Probably Chinese food. Okay. Love it. Final question. Okay. Live to eat or eat to live? Oh, Live to eat. Yay. Without fail. <laughs> I mean, is there another way? There is no other way, quite frankly. Wow. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you, you for, for the, coming to my house. Thank you for the sweets and the Ribena. <laughs> it's the Ribena. I feel much better now. I have to go out to dinner tonight. Oh, well, that will, I might give you another one for the road. Thank you. You can follow Matt on his favourite form of social media, uh, Instagram, at matt.tebbit. Until next time, guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.